Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Okay, we might continue with our service now. Join us for lunch and you can have a chance to keep going with those conversations. Before I read God's word, uh, why don't I pray for us? Lord God, there is no treasure on earth as precious as your word. Please turn our ears to wisdom and apply our hearts to understanding as we hear your word now. Amen. So our reading is Joel chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness, It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field, are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn, wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain has dried up. 
How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, Lord, I call, for the fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. Thanks for reading, Nicole, and good morning, everyone. Uh, if you haven't met me before, I'm Simon. Uh, people call me Jacko around here. I'm pretty uncreative. My last name's Jackson. Jacko, there you go. Um, I'm lead pastor here, and it's uh, nice to see you. You've joined us, if this is perhaps your first time here, you've joined us in week two of a new Bible teaching series, uh, which we are calling Books We Don't Read. Uh, we are working our way through the 12 minor prophets. Um, you may be one of those outliers who actually loves the minor prophets and you read them a lot and you go, books we don't read, I read them all the time. Um, not to name anyone's name, but this morning I said to someone, oh, we're doing Joel, and someone said, never read it. Um, and there you go, books we don't read. Uh, and so we are in these books and today we're in the book of Joel. And um, I, I kind of, a couple of weeks ago, I think I sort of said how, you know, as Christians, we long for the new creation when we're going to see Jesus and enjoy him forever. Uh, we're going to be gathered with all of God's people in, in all eternity. And we're going to sit down at this massive banquet. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a bit fearful that I'm going to sit down next to someone and I'm going to say, oh, I'm Simon, what's your name? And they'll say, I'm Amos. And you'll go, did you write that book in the Bible? Yeah, I did actually. Sorry, just didn't get to it, you know. And uh, anyway, we'll have all of eternity to work that one out together. Um, but uh, anyway, that's the idea. Anyway, before we get into God's word, um, I just wanted to bring a couple of extra announcements to you. Uh, one is that today is Liz Gulevsky's birthday, and she's like hiding her head in shame. Um, happy birthday, Liz. There you go. Um, we can celebrate with you later. Also, it actually is. Um, some of you might know Mikey and Naomi Lindsay, who um, moved on from us late last year to um, continue their training with Mission Aviation Fellowship, or MAF. Uh, it also happens to be Naomi's birthday today as well, and so we can wish her happy birthday from afar. Um, and on that, uh, Mikey and Naomi are sort of in the, th in the throes of, of heading off with MAF in some ways. MAF is an organization which uses aircraft to support disadvantaged communities um, or, f or remote communities all over the world, actually, uh, by providing medical supplies, uh, the copies of the scriptures, um, education, uh, moving people around. And uh, Mikey and Naomi are planning to serve with MAF um, beginning sort of in Australia and sort of just north of Australia. And so they're currently raising financial support for their work. Um, I think they've currently raised about 25% of their, what they need. Um, and so if you're interested in supporting them, you can talk to me or you can go to the back wall. And I think I'm hoping that QR code on the back wall works. And if you open that up, it should take you to a place where you can find out more information about their work. And so I can encourage you to, to do that. It's a great organisation, been around for a long time and have done great work um, globally too. Um, last little thing, um, next week we hope to commission Phil Brown as another elder in our church here at City Light Church North Adelaide. There you go. 
pretty sure Phil set that up with Adam next to him. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of love. A lot of love for Phil. Um, we, we, that's, we shared that with you several weeks ago and have asked for feedback um, from the congregation um, as to what people, how people feel about Phil coming on as an elder, and we've been receiving feedback from members of our church. Um, as far as we can know, with the spirit leading us and our guts leading us as well, it looks like it's going to be a thing that's going to happen, um, and so we hope to commission Phil next, uh, next Sunday. Um, here in the gathering at 10 a.m. Um, so do be praying for Phil and his family um, and all of us as we look forward to that moment. Um, before I open up the word, I want you to turn to the person next to you. Um, here's my opening little question. Um, someone asks you, can you summarize the Bible in one sentence? What are you going to say? I want you to summarize the Bible in one sentence. Tell me what it would be. Turn to the person next to you. Get in quickly. You can ask them. And then you don't have to come up with one sentence. Go. Bible in one sentence. Go. All right, folks. I'll bring you back together. That was more time than one sentence needed, right? You know? Um, who's, who's got a good one-liner? Who, like, who feels like, yes, I'm... I'm all over this. A few shakes of the head. Anyone? Yeah. God is awesome love. God is awesome love. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. God has made a way for us to be reconciled with Him. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. The history of God. What's that? A blueprint for life. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's good. All right. Um, let's pray. Let's get into it this morning. Father, we thank you and praise you so much for all the good things you give us. And we thank you, Father, for, um, yeah, we thank you for the air that's in our lungs and the hearts that we have that are beating inside us. And we pray, Lord, that um, with the bodies you've given us, with the ears you've carved out in our heads, that we would hear you speak to us this morning. Uh, Father, we pray that as we engage with perhaps a text that is less well known to us, we pray that you would be kind to um, help me to speak clearly and faithfully and help us to hear you speak. Um, move me, Lord, out of the way that we would hear you address us as your people. Uh, Father, I pray that we would all leave here today loving the Lord Jesus, finding life in him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I first met Jane in my first church that I was serving in when I left Bible college. Um, I just buried her elderly father. Um, and at that time, Jane was in her late 30s, early 40s. Um, in the follow-up visit following the funeral service, we got talking and Jane showed an interest, an obvious interest to me in the gospel. And she said to me, quote, Simon, tell me what's the Bible all about? Tell me in one sentence. I said, well, Jane, the Bible is 66 books and about 1,200 chapters. And at that point, she cut in and said, haven't you been to Bible school? Have you not been to college? Haven't you been trained? I said, yes, I have. She says, oh, yes. Okay, and I said, but like one sentence is really difficult. If you know me, it's really hard. And she said, we'll try. 
And I said, okay, how about this? The Bible begins with God creating the universe and he created two people, Adam and Eve. He put them into his paradise and he said they could stay there as long as they recognized his rule. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God and as a result, they were expelled from paradise. So there you have, Jane, creation, rebellion, expulsion. Jane, that's the first three chapters of the Bible, but we're halfway through my one sentence. She goes, good. Then I said, after creation, rebellion, expulsion, God, who is a relational God, entered into an agreement. The Bible calls that a covenant. He entered into this covenant with a man named Abram and all his race who will become known as Israel. And the center of that covenant, and now I want you to open your Bibles with me right now, okay? Grag open, Deuteronomy chapter six. The center of that covenant is found in Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, Here's the central uh, conviction of this covenant. We're about to read. What we're about to read is actually revolutionary. Um, Recall Israel was surrounded by all these kinds of nations who believed in many gods. Not so strange for us today, but in ancient times it was really revolutionary. Most nations had loads of gods. Israel was to have just one. Here's the central conviction of the agreement between God, Abraham, and his people. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That conviction stood as the central theological, doctrinal, relational conviction that there's one God. And Israel was to love their one God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, how did this covenant kind of work? How did the agreement work? Well, flip with me again. Open your Bibles. Flip with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here's a typical way that God says the agreement kind of works. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 16. Uh, We'll go from verse 15. See... I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Verse 16, for I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away and bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess. Therefore, right, under this covenant, God says to his people, if you love and if you obey me, then you'll be blessed. But if you chase after idols and you disobey me, then I will curse you. And of course, God's people, Israel, could never keep their part of the covenant. And so God, this is my ongoing one sentence, right, with Jane, by the way. Um, God, so God, right, brings in a new covenant, right? And at the center of this new covenant is a guy named Jesus of Nazareth, who comes as God in the flesh. And now all people, whether you're Jew or non-Jew, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become the covenant people of God. Jesus came out of the paradise of God into this broken world in order to win us back to his paradise. And the essential thing about this new covenant is that God knew we could never pull it off. 
And so in this new agreement, God keeps both sides of the agreement. So Jesus comes, lives the perfect life, loving God with everything. And on the basis of that perfect life, he dies the death that we deserve for, his, for our sin because he had no sin. And because of his death and resurrection, God forgives us our sins and credits to us Jesus' perfect life. It's an incredible truth. But Jane, there's more. And she's like almost falling off her chair at this point, right? Because we still live in this world, but we have hope that one day God will gather all of his redeemed people in the paradise from which we were expelled. So Jane, here's the summary. Creation, rebellion, expulsion, old covenant with Israel, new covenant with everyone who has faith in the Lord Jesus, and finally the great day when one day all who have faith in Jesus will gather together with him in paradise. Jane, that's the big picture. And every time you read a passage of scripture, Jane, read that passage within that framework. Next Sunday, Jane came to church with her Bible and she'd actually covered her Bible with the old packet of an empty, or an empty packet of cornflakes, right? Crazy. She said, I want to do this to remind myself that I need to start my day with breakfast, but before I start with breakfast, I'm going to be nourished on the Bible. Crazy. So where are we? We're outside the garden. We have faith in Jesus through the new covenant. We are waiting for the hope of that new day when Jesus comes again to make all things new and establish the new creation. That's where we are in North Adelaide today. We are new covenant people living in the old creation, awaiting the new creation. That's where we are. That's where we sit in God's big plans and purposes. And the book of Joel is all about God's big picture and purposes. So come now with me to the book of Joel, second book of the minor prophets. If you have no idea where the book of Joel is, you find the big three major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. You then run through Daniel, hit Hosea, who we looked at last week, and you'll bump into the little book of Joel. We're in the book of Joel, Joel, the name means Yahweh is God. 73 verses here. It's actually a really good book to study to get God's big picture. Um, interestingly, uh, the book of Joel, um, we don't actually know specifically when it was written. We don't actually know very much about Joel at all. Uh, we know his dad's name, uh, Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1, let me find it. That'd be helpful, wouldn't it? Um, Joel chapter 1 is, we know that, yeah, you know, we know his dad's name, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. That's about all we know about Joel, that his dad's name was Pethuel. Um, it's a really interesting feature. It's almost like this book has a timelessness about it. We don't know, we don't know when it was situated. Um, probably was written in the 700s BC. The Assyrians were probably the terrible enemy. We learn more about them in future days. They're dreadfully terrible and cruel empire. And God's people are under the old covenant, remember? God says, I'll bless your obedience, I'll curse your disobedience. And the word of the Lord comes to this man, Joel, and notice how it comes to him. He doesn't create it. He doesn't sort of conjure it up, discover it. The words come to him. 
God will be faithful to his covenant even when it hurts. Have a look at Joel chapter 1, verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened to you in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. There is a coming catastrophe. Verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. There's going to be a widespread locust plague, a thorough locust plague, a devastating locust plague, to the point where, verse 5, you drunkard, you'd better weep, for there'll be no grapes to give you wine. You priests, verse 9, you'd better mourn, because there'll be no offerings, no grain offerings, because everything will be taken and swept away. You tillers of the soil, you farmers, verse 11, your crops will be destroyed. In other words, all of God's good gifts, all of the reasons we normally have for joy are going to be gone. Look at verse 12. The vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate and palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Why? Well, Mother Nature, of course. That's the secularist answer, yes. But notice that's not the reason here. I'm told by the Locust Eradication Board of Australia that locusts are always there. Their eggs are always in the ground. And if you have early rains, the dormant locust eggs can spring to life. And you can have, in one square metre of earth, 70,000 locust eggs ready to come to life. And if they do spring to life, they'll come just as your crop is springing to life with devastation. Um, Little tip for when you leave church today and you're looking for something to do this afternoon, jump onto YouTube and type in... um, Um, Attenborough locust plague and you'll come across um, Attenborough you know with his I can't even do his voice it's so beautifully British and unique but he says it's like it's you can watch this he tells you the story of how locusts kind of swarm he goes and now we can see the, the hopping locusts on the ground and as they grow they develop into fully blown locusts and then he and this is the fun the fun fact that I learned from him he goes and one One female who lays an egg, from her one life can come 18 million other locusts. There you go. If you have nothing else to do this afternoon, watch that. It's devastating. That's the point. It's just one of those things, though, isn't it? Natural explanations can always be made, but natural explanations are never enough. Because I think we're being told here that the Creator is unraveling creation. He's not forgotten. I will bless you. I will curse you. He's faithful to bless. He's equally faithful to curse. Verse 13, you priests come and mourn and wail. You elders declare a fast. This is devastating. He repeats it again, verse 17 and 18. This is the word of the Lord, graphic, beautiful poetry. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan, the herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. And Joel, notice, 
shows his model of leadership. He leads the nation in prayer to God in the face of this calamity. Verse 19, to you, Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. Here's the people of God under the curse of God. We're the covenant people of God, but we don't know his blessing. We only know curse. And chapter two is even more vivid. The locusts are a numberless army in chapter two, verse two. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Why? Because the number of locusts are such that it's blotted out even the sun, millions and millions and millions of them. And see verse 9, chapter 2? They rush upon the city, they run along the wall, they climb into the houses like thieves, they enter through the windows. And again, you can look for explanations, right? But the reality is that God is at the head of the army. Verse 11, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? The Lord is teaching his covenant people a lesson. Oh, sure, there might be economic, sociological, political, even meteorological reasons. But no, God, God's people are out of sorts with God. And here comes plague and here comes misery. They're under the old covenant, in the old creation, and they're under his curse. Why? What sin has Judah done? We're not told specifically. I wonder with the way the imperatives come, particularly in chapter one, these commands, I wonder if they've just stopped trusting in God. They've shifted their trust to the things of the world rather than to the living God himself. And so a number of times you see these imperatives all the way through chapter one, verse five, wake up. Verse five again, wail, mourn, lament, wake up. The elders are told to prepare the fast. You priests, get your act together. But I think the key verses are there in chapter two, verse 12 and 13. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You know, he is the God who will curse because he's faithful, but he hates the curse. And he's calling on his people to repent, to turn back to him. Repentance, it's like the drainage system of the soul. Turn back, keep turning back. You need to keep turning back. You need to turn back today for what you did tomorrow, yesterday. You need to turn back tomorrow because of today. Repentance. We don't know what the specific issue is, but we do know that God is jealous for the devotion of his people and he will not accept our half-hearted religiosity. The mouthing of prayers, the mouthing of confessions or song words, the religious garment rather than the breaking and rending of the heart. 
That's why the locust plague has come. Is the locust plague a metaphor for the coming Assyrians? I don't think so. Did the locust plague come? Yeah. It may be that Judah did repent. Maybe they rendered their hearts, not their garments, and God relented for he's the God, according to verse 13, 13, who relents from sending disaster. Oh, there's a hell there. But God takes no delight in hell. But it is there. Return. Rend. Return. It's a strong message here in Joel to repent. In fact, he says there in verse 16, there's a sense of urgency and significance to what he's saying for us to do. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and, his, and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why would they say among the peoples, where is their God? It seems like they've lost their love for God. We can only guess at that, but maybe it was right back at the beginning. Adam and Eve, God, we want your stuff. We just don't want you. You know, we want the benefits, God, of your reign, but we don't really want your rule. It's typical of us human beings, isn't it? We want what God can give us. We often don't want God. We want the fruit of the gospel. We want people to be honest and kind and faithful and full of integrity, but we don't want the gospel, neither hot nor cold. Return to me with all your heart. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord. And then we see, if you look with me at verse 25 to 27, as we end this section, God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord, your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. You will know, says the Lord, when you repent, when you turn back to me, the blessing of the covenant, that I am with you, that I am keen to bless. I think it's wonderfully merciful of God to give this word to his people through the prophet Joel. Turn back. Rend your hearts, not your garments. The great John Wesley tells in his journals that after one um, church meeting one night, a lady came up to him and said, oh, Mr. Wesley, please pray for me for I am a sinful woman. And Wesley said, indeed you are, and indeed I will. How dare you speak to me like that, she said. And Wesley wrote, we can say a thousand times ill of ourselves and yet we are affronted when another says anything of the kind. That is not repentance. It is pretense. It's vanity. We are a sinful people and we need to rend our hearts and not our garments. Well, that's the old covenant. Pivot with me to verse 28 of chapter 2. 
And here is the new covenant promised by Joel hundreds of years later before it came into being. Please note how verse 28 starts. And afterward, or in another translation, and it shall come to pass afterward. Here we have a new day, a day of grace that is dawning. Notice how this new day is going to be marked by a pouring out of the Spirit of God on all flesh and that God will be with his people. On this day, notice, there'll be no sex barrier. It will be on your sons and daughters. It'll be, there's no age barrier. It'll be on your young and your old. And there'll be no class barrier, even on your male and female servants. Everyone is going to be involved. What is this day going to consist of? Well, this day or this age will be characterized by revelation, prophecy, dreams and visions. It's a day where the Lord will visit his people in power and reveal his mind and his word to them. But not only that, it'll be a great day of salvation. Joel chapter 2 verse 32, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I want you to keep a finger in Joel chapter 2 and flick forward in your Bible with us to Acts chapter 2, and Nicole's going to come and read a part of Acts chapter 2 for us. Acts chapter 2. Thanks, Nicole. So we're starting at verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, 
both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thanks very much, Nicole. Um, I feel like every time Nicole is asked to read the Bible, she gets the passages with the really funky names in them. Um, you do a great job. Thank you very much. Um, obvious place to go, right? From Joel chapter 2 into Acts chapter 2 into the day of Pentecost, um, where we see there the Holy Spirit of God is poured out after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God. And there are these 15 language groups there speaking in their own tongues about the mighty works of God. And the people are confused, looking on, going, like, what does this mean? Are these people drunk? And at that point, the apostle Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning for them to be drunk. But verse 16, he then goes on and says, this was what was uttered years ago, promised years ago by the Lord through the prophet Joel. What we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the new age in which God pours out his Holy Spirit, the beginning of a new covenant established through the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are the wonders that the people on the day of Pentecost are speaking about? They're speaking about Jesus. Have a look at Acts chapter 2 verse 22. Fellow Israelites, this is Peter speaking, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this was a man handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him, amen? And then come down to verse 33. Exalted now to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And they've just heard this incredible news that they collaborated with everyone in the world to put Jesus to death, but he's come back from the grave alive and well, and the people in the midst of that go, what on earth are we supposed to do now? This is the new covenant. Jesus comes to the rescue. In response to the judgment of God with the locust plagues back in Joel, what does God call upon the people to do? Rend your hearts and not your garment. Return to the Lord, repent. And the people come to Peter. What must we do now that Jesus has come into the world and is now the judge of the world. Do you see what he says? Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God calls. In other words, change your attitude to Jesus. 
Put your faith in Jesus and you'll receive complete forgiveness of sin. The curse of God was exhausted on Jesus and by trusting in him, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, uniting you to God, uniting you to Jesus and all that he has done, is doing and will do. The day of revelation, Peter has says, has come. The day of salvation has come. And just briefly, we're doing a lot of Bible flicking today. Briefly flick forward with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, the next book in the Bible after the book of Acts. Romans chapter 10. And here the Apostle Paul says pretty much the same thing that the Apostle Peter has said. Uh, Look at Romans 10 and here Paul says, Salvation is not a matter of what you do. Salvation is a matter of what God has done. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Paul says, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And who is the salvation on offer open to? As scripture says, verse 11, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For as there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And quoting Joel, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent. Call on the name of Jesus. And here is the assurance that in the new covenant, both sides are kept. You are forgiven and the perfect life of God's son, Jesus, is credited to you. So you are counted in in Christ as fulfilling all of God's just demands of righteousness. This is a great day of salvation. Call on the name of the Lord. Repent. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, flip back with me to Joel and chapter 3. Because it's not all that he has to say. Joel chapter 3. In Joel chapter 3, the Lord reminds us that these are days of opportunity. But the days of opportunity, that the window for us to repent before the Lord returns, is not endless. There is a great final day of reckoning and judgment coming. Joel chapter 3, verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. The sins of the people of the nations who will meet God in that valley are listed in verses three, four, and five. It's an awesome day, the final day, when the world's might meets God's right. 
And we're told in verse 16, the Lord will roar from Zion, thunder from Jerusalem, the earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. It's an awesome day. The day when the nations are not invited, they're summoned. It's a day where there'll be no longer any appeal for repentance. The opportunity for that will have passed. It's a day where you come and ready yourself for judgment. It's a day where the world's might meets God's right. That's the big picture. Creation, rebellion, expulsion, old covenant, new covenant, the day of the Lord, and then the new creation. The day of the Lord is coming. And the Apostle Paul says that to live in light of that day is the essence of wisdom. So what was the story for Jane, who I told the very long sentence to at the beginning? What was her story? Well, Jane said, you know what, Simon? I'm really glad I'm a believer. And not only Jane, but her husband, her husband was this sort of high-flying accountant who owned a lovely kind of rural property. So he spent sort of half his time in the city crunching massive numbers and then you know, like curating his beautiful farm down the way. Um, and he would, um, you know, he told me about his crop dusting and all that sort of stuff that he used to do. Um, wonderfully, Jane, her husband, and their three children turned to Christ. It was quite amazing. A few years later, when I'd left Sydney um, and moved back to Adelaide, I was listening to ABC radio, and there was a news item on the radio um, of a crop duster who'd been killed the night before. And my phone rang, and it was Jane, uh, to tell me that her husband had died. He was that crop duster. And she said to me, Brian's gone home. He's been called and he's safe for all eternity. Have you called on the Lord? Have you turned back to him? Have you not rendered your garments, put on religious garb, but rendered your heart? Have you invested all your trust and confidence in Christ? Hear the word of the Lord today. Return to me with all your heart. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from sending calamity. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we pause for a moment in our own hearts and minds to just consider the moments, I don't know, in the past week or so, Lord, where we've trusted in the things of this world more than when we've trusted in you. When we've taken the good things that you give us and we've taken them and 
enjoyed them without giving you thanks, recognising that they come from your hand. Lord, we thank you for this somewhat timeless message of the prophet Joel. Father, thank you for the reminder for each one of us to put our trust in you in the face of that great and awesome day when your son, the Lord Jesus, will return. I pray that each one of us in this room and those listening online, Father, that we would all repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Father, do help us to trust you, to not trust in other things or other people, but to ultimately just trust you. And Father, as we trust you, help us to point other people to the great news of salvation found only in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.